Hello everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 11, issue 521, and it gives me great pleasure, finally, at last, to say today we're going to be talking about Rainbow Island. The story of Bubble Bobble 2, which was its original subtitle, although as we discussed in our previous Bubble Bobble podcast from last year, on that game's 35th anniversary, the titling and the sequel situation is complex, but in this show we'll mainly be covering just the arcade game Rainbow Islands and its conversions. We'll also talk a little bit about a couple of legacy games that happened that I've never played. We'll take it from here and you'll see how we go. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Carmu. Hey everyone. And it's Sadie Flaye. Hello. Apologies, I was going to ask you for a steer on the pronunciation of your surname. Very close, Sadie Flaye. So more like um, rhyming with Slayer. Which is uh, that, how that's I'm, pretty awesome. I'm referred to at Konami as the PR Slayer these days. Uh, Sadie that's Flair, the PR cool. Slayer. <laughs> awesome. Yes, yeah, Sadie works uh, at Konami on the UGO brand. And uh, if you're unfamiliar with her work, formerly of Joystick, uh, formerly of Rebellion, and formerly of, perhaps most pertinent to this, Big Red Potion, the podcast. That's right, which took its name from this game. Exactly, which is why you were the number one choice to guest on this very podcast. We'll talk about why you called it that and your history with the game momentarily, but for those who are uninitiated, because this is a 35-year-old game, what is Rainbow Islands? It is the uber-cute 2D platformer sequel to Taito's arcade smash hit Bubble Bubble Checkout podcast issue 484. You can get it from the website. You can get it from our Patreon feed. If you subscribe, you can get it from Spotify as well, if you wish. So, Sadie, when you named your podcast Big Red Potion, that must mean that there was something about Rainbow Islands which was special to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, w- I would say to start off, it's probably one of my favourite games of all time. Um, spoilers spoilers <laughs> me too uh, is that is that going too far too early to no quick, that's absolutely fine okay. i think i think we've, we've nailed our colors to the mast it's fine <laughs> um and um for anyone who the few people who may be still around who, who still who listen to big red potion um yeah uh you know that podcast was all about trying to delve deeper into games and um speak about them tell you which are you know like your podcast has done for many, many years wonderfully. And um, I I chose that name because uh, to me, Rainbow Islands is a very interesting, intelligent, unusual game beneath the surface of this cutesy, um, colourful platformer. And it was kind of emblematic of what I was trying to do with Big Red Patience. So yeah, that was why I chose it. Do you remember when you first played it and on what format and... uh... That yeah, kind of thing. Absolutely, yeah. So I played it on for the first time on my Amiga five hundred. Yes. Uh which I think uh personally I feel was the best version of the game from what I've seen. <laughs> um but I would probably say that as a very loyal Amiga fangirl. Um but yeah, uh, I think I was probably eight or nine years old. Um and yeah. uh I had played Bubble Bobble before um and yeah. liked it. And um, was begging my parents to get Rainbow Islands. I clearly had seen it in some kind of Amiga magazine review, and it was getting, yeah. uh, you know, crazy reviews at the time. So it was. Yeah. Um, that was that was my history with it. Beautiful, Carl. How about you? Similar age to Sadie, I think. Yeah. So um, 
obviously the the main release being 1987 i got an amiga in 1988 uh amiga 500 uh would have been my first introduction to the game as well though i did actually see uh, a, a copy of this in the wild in the arcades um not that common uh nope. really as an arcade title it wasn't uh, no uh which was quite sad uh you know quite quite striking to see this game that i was actually more familiar with from playing um on the amiga version when i saw that in the arcades um like many i suppose who came across games on the amiga it wasn't a legitimate copy was my first introduction to it it was mm-hmm. actually um so a little story about the Amigas. I I, I got one for Christmas, uh, nineteen eighty eight. I say I did. Uh, that's probably loose passing as a way for my dad to have actually yeah. got got the Amiga. Um, little did he know what he did at that very moment in time uh, for, for for my future, uh, thirty four years on. Um, and my uncle also got one the same day, uh, and. Uh, he lived your dad's brother presumably uh, no my mum's brother oh really okay yeah what a terrible assumption i yeah. made <laughs> so and and he actually lived down south um in sort of broadstairs margate ramsgate area um which is why when i was always down south i was in the margate uh, arcades and obviously when i was up north i was in kind of the the red car arcades so I, I, that's hmm. why i have such a, a broad spectrum of arcade experiences and i was down um kent one one summer uh, i'm presuming summer because that's when i spent the majority of my time over the uh, six weeks holidays and i would play a, a range of games that he would leave sort of the the, the sort of the diskettes next to the uh, system um in the box and one was just rainbow islands and i thought well this sounds like ridiculous but i, I put it on and Suddenly, I remembered, I've actually seen this before. I've seen this in sort of adverts. I've seen this in Amiga magazines. And what was intended to be a a quick five-minute play ended up being a large part of an entire summer uh, of going back and back and back to to sort of this game and, you know, being taken in by the uh, simplistic-looking but complex-feeling mechanics um, and just kind of really, really falling in love with a 2D platform game. Now, uh, most people associate me probably with Great Guiana Sisters, mainly because I've rabbited on about how amazing the uh, intro music to that game is uh, and how much of a blatant rip-off it is of Mario. But actually, my favourite platform game on the Amiga is actually Rainbow Islands. Mm-hmm. Um Albeit, I don't prefer the music uh, to to the Great Guiana Sisters um, and Chris Hulsbeck, um, which you know I think you can give that a pass. Uh, but obviously, when it when it came to this game, uh, I returned home with a, a, a newly minted copy, uh, as was so easy to do on the Amiga, um, and continued to just play this at home. But that was just uh, one tremendous summer that i had i'm not entirely sure on the year it must have been around i'm guessing 1989 on the on the timeline now nah, because um, the amiga oh, version didn't come out until 1990 yeah yeah so it would have been the, summer 1990 yeah yeah oh yes 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 because it was uh the summer of italia 90 <laughs> yes um, absolutely <laughs> yes so it was it would have been 1990 uh it would have been the summer of uh this game or it might have even been 1991. But, it, yeah, I was still relatively young, um, no yeah. older than seven at the time. Um, just absolutely 
fell in fell in love with a game that was far more than what it appeared on the surface. Yeah, my first memory of seeing this, I'm not even sure if I was aware it existed before this. Obviously, I was already a a magazine reader and a, a voracious gamer by the age of 15 when this came out. I think I only ever saw it in the arcade. Well, it wasn't even an arcade. It's, there's this place along the coast from Brighton called Lansing, which is uh, like a, a slightly smaller, sleepier sort of seaside area. Occasionally, you'll get an actual sandy beach there rather than our favoured uh, famous pebbles from uh, from Brighton. I used to go along there with my grandparents. My granddad was a pianist and uh, they used to do tea dances for the uh, old folks there. My nan used to do the catering and I used to help out for pocket money. And I remember one time before the start of the tea dance, we went to one of those little sort of seaside brick buildings uh, that you still see often repurposed into slightly more hip coffee bars and things like that now. But back in the day, it was like a... Uh, it had those uh, swirling squash machines on the on the counter. You remember the ones, um, mm-hmm. and the uh, you know maybe maybe you could get chips and a and a frothy cappuccino <laughs> or something. But um, but this I think it was I think it's like a hexagonal brick building. Um, I don't even know if it's still there. I'd occasionally end up along that way, and whenever I do, I I, I literally associate Rainbow Islands with Lansing because of this. Um, and yeah, for whatever reason, they had just two or three coin ups sitting around as as places like that tended to do back in the day. Just some, you know, a way to make money out of dead space, I suppose. And it was one of those cabinets that was clearly it was a, a, a fairly cheap multi-purpose cabinet. Perhaps it even looked sort of semi homemade. It was um, it was one of those ones I think I've mentioned before where the con- the the game buttons were actually more like fruit machine buttons they were like big oblong <laughs> yeah. plastic clicky buttons so they weren't like proper video gaming buttons these weren't your sanwa parts these were like you know something you look, you'd be pressing nudges on or whatever franken system um, yeah <laughs> it was it was an odd beast i remember that but i i but i recognized the font i recognized the taito logo and while the characters were obviously now humans instead of bubble blowing dragons i sort of got the gist um i possibly read the title screen that said the story of bubble bubble too anyway i didn't have very long um before we had to go but i do remember getting a couple of games in and thinking this is magic i i really like this but it takes a bit of getting used to especially after bubble bubble uh the mechanics are quite although seemingly quite uh, as we as we will probably keep saying, seemingly quite simple. There's very quickly a lot of techniques you need to learn, and you need to learn which power ups to pick up, and all this kind of stuff. So I'm sure I died or drowned very quickly. And the next thing I knew about Rainbow Islands were the reviews for the home versions. Um, first, the eight bits came along, and then the then the sixteen bits. And at this point, I didn't have my Amiga, but I got my Amiga for my 18th birthday in the summer of 1990 and probably the first thing i loaded up if i recall correctly was the graft gold conversion of rainbow islands um i couldn't believe it after five years of playing on my 8-bit atari with its 20-minute cassette loading times i could play what looked to me like an arcade perfect version of rainbow islands in about 30 seconds it was absolutely incredible and i just played that copy for the next five years pretty much (laughs) religiously uh eventually the amiga kind of you know fell out of favor i upgraded to an a1200 i think rainbow islands was one of the games that did work but it wasn't long before i bought the game again on uh saturn there was the double pack and then i bought it again on pc later and as we'll 
discuss later on. It's It's been re-released since, but not often and not recently enough for reasons that we'll go into. But as uh, as anyone who listened to the Bubble Bubble show will know, I love that game. It's on my epic shelf and uh, and this one is too. Given away the ending there. Uh, <laughs> Taito made it, as we said. Fukio Mitsuji returned from Bubble Bobble, uh, sadly passed away, as we said in that show, aged just 48 in 2008. Having uh, previously worked on Super Dead Heat and Halley's Comet and Bubble Bobble, this was uh, this was a fairly quick follow-up because this game came out. I couldn't find a single date other than 1987 on the internet. There's no uh, refined release date. I don't know what part of the year it came out or anything like that, but essentially they made this game in a year as far as I can work out. Um, but here we are. The main characters are Bublun and Boblun, the protagonists of Bubble Bobble, known as Bub and Bob in the West. However, in this game, they appear in their human forms as Bubby and Bobby, as opposed to the Bubble Dragons of the first game, following on from that game's true ending that everybody saw, right? Because <laughs> it was so easy to <laughs> Definitely. get. Yeah, yeah. We talked about that. Um, also, unlike the first game, and I know this was a disappointment to some and perhaps one of the reasons why the game didn't, smash hit quite as much as bubble bubble did it was not simultaneous two player it was an alternate one and uh, one and two player game that's according to wikipedia all those lovely facts there green shirt bubby and blue shirt bobby would take it in turns in the style of those kind of games Story does follow on from Bubble Bubble. The story such as it is, following the events of Bubble Bubble, Bubby and Bobby set out to defeat the Dark Shadow and rescue the Rainbow Islands. The Dark Shadow is the entity responsible for the events in Bubble Bubble. Who knew? The game is set on a chain of ten islands. Yes, ten, not seven. Each one with a different theme. Each island provides four rounds of gameplay, and once these are complete, the player moves to the next island in the chain. In each round, the player must get to the top before the sea level rises and kills them. Again, thanks, Wikipedia. So, yeah, it's a curious game in that it is a horizontal uh, mounted monitor, raster, usual screen. Uh, but the gameplay is very much in the vertical style, almost like the vertical levels of Contra or something. You're constantly working your way up, not side to side, although some of the home ports have uh, have you going side to side because they're zoomed in like on the Game Boy Color. But yeah, this is a bottom-to-top game, uh, a climber. I suppose Taito had already... Uh, what's that game? It's called... I think it's Crazy Climber, isn't it? The Taito earlier game where you just mantle up the side of a building. I wonder if that was a slight influence on this. Yeah, actually, I was, I was going to ask you guys about that because mm. I'm kind of... This is where I think I'd have a lack of knowledge of kind of vertical platformers before Rainbow Islands because to me, it was the first one I played. Yeah. I don't, I, there was quite a bunch of vertical-based games in the in the arcades of different genres, but I don't really remember anything before this one. Just climbing up to the top yeah. of the level. No, um, as I say, the, the the crazy climber game is the one I'm thinking of, but I'm, I wasn't. You know, it's it's one of it's one of the ones that you can get on arcade archives, but I'm not very familiar with it. Um, yeah, there must there there must be others, I think. But you know, this was nineteen eighty seven, so maybe not that many. Yeah, I mean, I guess I think of Mario two had sections like that that True. were up, and I ice yeah. climb, ice climbers is like oh, you know, yeah, I good point. Things like that too, but that that's yeah, my knowledge. Yeah. That's as far as that goes. Uh, that's about, I'd say that's yeah, that's probably about that probably about covers it. 
and uh, even as an 18 year old so you 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 were both a bit younger than me and still are uh, but uh i was you know i i was and still am uh, now the age of nearly 50 uh still very much taken by by cutesy games and um the visuals on this were, were just like almost uproariously outrageously cutesy to the yeah. point that, of almost being comedic yeah it, it's saccharine it's, it's it's how i would describe the visuals like yeah. it it's it, it's excessively cutesy the way the eyes bobble around from you know that carries on from bubble bubble but then just the the, the sheer level of color i guess it, it's so contrasting to bubble bubble because bubble bubble is against that black screen that's right for yeah. all of it and then here you've got this like literal rainbow of colors to, to to match the game's name um and you know lots of flashing colors as well with the uh various bonus items that you can get and yeah. Um, so many different looking levels as well. Uh, the kind of things that are in the levels, you know, there are, I, you know, uh, toys and robots, yeah. and um, it, it's it is incredibly cutesy. And um, to my eight year old self, I, I kind of oh my god fell, fell yeah. in love with that, you know, very quickly. It's funny. I remember a number of games such as uh, Harlequin by Gremlin and sort of satirizing Japanese platformers. And, and the suggestion was often that they were kind of aping Mario Brothers. But I think as much as anything, like like everything in this game has googly eyes kind of thing. Um, I think maybe they were looking at that. Even Combat Island, which is ostensibly a sort of militaristic environment, is like... Uh, very safe feeling kind of retro toys, plastic helicopters, that kind of thing. It doesn't feel like a scary place. That said, Monster Island and beyond, as the difficulty gets harder, I found more and more intimidating. So by the time you're at uh, Dragon Island, you know, it sounds like fun, um, but uh, it's actually, you know, the, the chaos that goes on there, the number of aggressive, fast-moving enemies means that, yeah, pretty much from... Um, Jumping upwards into those uh, towards the bats and the wolfmen and things like that in Monster Island, after a relatively gentle start, I'd say on the first two worlds, I'd say the first eight levels are. It's I found you know fairly comfortable to get to the point where I could just do those you know without without much fuss. Um, but Monster Island and beyond, you had to had to start bringing your A game by that point. That was obviously the point by which. They wanted you off the machine, potentially, if you didn't know exactly what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, so I think for anyone who doesn't really understand the structure, it's each world has four stages, right? And, and the I think the first two stages, um, the first two worlds, the first eight stages are fairly straightforward. Uh, I remember getting to a point where I'd get to 15, 16, quite regular, and mm. then it just felt like things got really a lot trickier in terms of uh, more things taking up your screen space, things moving, uh, effects moving down the screen, these kinds of things where it would get frustratingly difficult uh, probably after that point. But uh, I don't want to say unfairly difficult because I don't think it, it, ne it never necessarily felt that way, but it, it certainly felt like they'd ramped it up. And I, you know what you said there, Leon, that's almost certainly the case. Uh, this That was kind of time to put more coins in the machine. Yes, definitely. I, I I've just it's it's a really good point you're saying about um how the cutesiness goes away. Like I I I going back to it and playing it again um for for this, I I mm. didn't realise in the very first stage of that very first world, you see this um little caterpillar because one of 
one of the creatures yeah. as a caterpillar and it's Minosuke. Yes. And it's sleeping. It's sleeping and it's just, you know, waiting for you to wake it up. And it's so cute. It's adorable. It's just their little zizzes coming out, I think. And yeah. um, you know, even the, the like you said, the combat one, the, the helicopter going around is is adorable. It's the cutest <laughs> little helicopter in the world. Um and uh then all of a sudden it's vampires <laughs> and then it's um robots. Uh it, it 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 by the time I think as well, especially the bosses become very scary looking as you get towards the end. So yeah, there's yeah. it's a very deceptive game in that regard, and definitely gets very very difficult very very quickly for me. Yeah. Now let's talk about the audio. Uh, this is an interesting one. So the original arcade game contains in-game music reminiscent of the song "Over the Rainbow" from The Wizard of Oz. This song was included in the Japanese Mega Drive versions, a PC Engine CD version, and the original Famicom release of the game, as well as the Ocean Software home computer ports. However, in later console versions of the game, on the Master System even, uh, so that was as early as 1993, the NES version, which was different to the Famicom version, then the Saturn and the PS1 version, and then the uh, collections on PS2 and Xbox, Taito Memories and Taito Legends, the music's changed. So aside from part of the chorus, the in-game music changed not to, so as not to infringe copyrights. Uh, and in fact, the hidden eighth level of the NES version, as well as the Game Boy Color version, simply used the Bubble Bobble theme music, which is present in the original game on, on the final island anyway. What's, what I find interesting about this, so this is, this is the reason why the game doesn't get released very often, as far as we understand it. But I can't find a single article out there actually citing that there was ever any legal discussion between MGM and the, the rights holders of Over the Rainbow and Taito. So I don't know whether it's actually a thing that they were told to do or a thing that they just decided to do in case they got uh, they got told off or they got to have to give a percentage of royalties over to the 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 Over the Rainbow estate, which is a note and uh, it's a 80 year old song yeah. now pretty much i don't know if it goes public domain after 100 years or whether they can renew the rights and continue to so i'm hoping is, is that, that we can... what we're waiting for <laughs> yeah another 17 years 1939 to 2039 i think the mgm estate is quite a yeah a potentially ruthless estate as well i think there's been quite a oh, lot of stories oh, where i think that's why yeah but i do miss the 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 late 80s very early 2000s where you know, caution was thrown to the wind and mm. games were released without any care in the world. But we'd obviously, we we had started to see these things happen. I mean, obviously, I think maybe for Amiga owners, the most famous was Guiana Sisters, which I think, if yeah. memory serves me right, um, I'm, it was on store shelves for one day. Before uh, it, a week or was something it one like week that. It was, before it got yeah, pulled. It probably depended on the store, but yes, it was pulled. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is in the days before Nintendo were really on stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would, be, it would be less than a day these days. I, my hunch would be, my suspicion would be that mm. it was it was something that was only noticed later. Um, yeah, you know, got by like 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 I was saying because there was kind of that reckless attitude uh, with with you know a lot a lot of games, um, not just you know these two that we mentioned. There were a lot of games which could easily be considered, uh, you know, um, controversial and and sparking some litigious kind of things. Um, yeah. But I, my hunch, my hunch would just, I don't know, my feeling um, with, especially, you know, Japanese companies, it's just this kind of thing mm. where it might have slipped by and then all of a sudden yeah. the caution was applied. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame because 
uh, it's frustrating to me that they've they seem to have got more and more scared as time has gone on in that the the earlier versions that they changed so the the Saturn PS1 double pack collection they essentially they sort of tweaked some of the notes of the the lead melody line so that it was just different enough there's that famous lore isn't there about i don't know whether it's apocryphal or not that the idea that if you change every seventh note you can't be sued for musical copyright because every tune is you know it, it exists right? right um it's i mean it's not even a direct cover it's a sort of jazzy interpretation but obviously the sequence of notes you know if it was played in court and broken down and um and so obviously after that Saturn and PS1 version uh, that I think it was a claim released in the mid 90s then those uh, memories and legends collections came along on on PS2 and Xbox in in the early mid 2000s they simply ripped the melody line out altogether so it's just the bass uh, like the bass line and percussion and and some chords and at least with that you can kind of whistle your you can whistle the original melody over the top to yourself if you want um but uh, the so I think what's happening now is so there is no arcade archives release of this game even though I'm sure Hamster has the rights because they I think they have the rights to almost everything from Taito from a certain era. Um, Bubble Bubble is out there. Almost every other Taito game of note, they're they're still drip feeding them. They're still releasing them week by week. Um, so the Taito Egret Two Mini console, which has just been released elsewhere and is about to come out in the UK does have rainbow islands extra on it but i think what they've done there is again they've they've taken the bubble bubble theme and put it to every level now of course i love the bubble bubble theme we talked about that in the bubble bubble show but that's the bubble bubble theme Mm. and the bubble island theme the rainbow islands theme the somewhere over the rainbow music i'm not saying the game doesn't work without it of course it does the the gameplay is still there in spades but it's not the same It, it it feels um definitive like it's 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 intrinsic to the game to me mm. um I, i'm gonna yeah. uh make an embarrassing confession uh go for it as an eight-year-old um mm. just gonna you know proceed this with this um <laughs> i i did not did re- you have words <laughs> i i did not realize i did not realize this was reminiscent oh, okay. of over the rainbow no, that's not embarrassing at all you are yeah um and it may be embarrassingly late in life was when i realized that yes that sounds a little bit like the uh, mm. the song from wizard of oz um and it never occurred to me but it's such a clever yeah. it is a good jazzy interpretation of it like it's to me it's the sort of the first few notes sound very similar yeah. to the beginning and then it goes yeah kind of quicker like it's a quicker interpretation yeah. of it just more yeah, yeah. happy and bubbly yeah yeah wouldn't it be nice if if the owner the, the rights owners of that song given how important it is to so many people if uh, after a hundred years they just said right this song is free public domain now everyone can use it as their you know and that would also have the the byproduct of meaning that we could have rainbow islands back Uh, it would do it would do a power of good to the world i feel definitely let's hear from our first correspondent for this show this is alex dola from patreon who says rainbow islands is a game i have a huge deal of affection for but one i've never played all that much Aside from a few goes in the arcade and the copy I had on my old Amstrad, it doesn't seem to have ever popped up much on collections over the years for reasons I'm sure will be discussed. Regardless, any time I do get to play this game, it makes me feel hugely nostalgic. It looks beautiful, it sounds delightful, and making rainbow bridges to traverse the world and kill enemies never stops being fun. I honestly can't remember if I've ever finished the game. I'm sure I've probably credit-fed my way through it on MAME before now. I fired it up on MAME on my Xbox over the weekend to see how far I could get on one credit. Not very far. 
I made it past the first boss, the spider, but then died in the next area. It was heaps of fun though. This and Bubble Bobble really are both up there in the golden age of arcade games for me. It's one of the games I most wish would get an Arcade Archives release so I could play it on my Switch. See previous discussion. And yes, you can't actually credit feed your way to the end because the game locks you out of continuing beyond a certain point unless you've aced every level up to that point, in which case you can get the power up, which allows you to continue beyond levels uh, seven or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Fiendish. Let's talk a bit more about the actual gameplay then. So at its most basic from the Wikipedia, players can release rainbows that act as weapons, makeshift platforms and item collectors. Slinging rainbows damages any enemies and acquires any items that the rainbows come into contact with. When jumped upon, they fall down. I should say they actually shatter, beating any enemies below them and releasing a damage field above them. Collecting power-ups increases the player's speed and the speed of rainbows and how many are spawned up to three or two in some home versions. If players take too long in a level, water will start to rise up from the bottom of the stage and will kill the player character if it rises above his head. So the rainbow in Rainbow Islands, what an incredibly versatile and clever thing to give the player. It's also just weird. It's just, it's just <laughs> it odd. Um, I, I, that description is fantastic from Wikipedia. Whoever wrote that yeah. or collaborated on that, brilliant. It, a bit, it's, it's, it summarizes what is a very complicated mechanic beautifully. Um, because I can't think of any game, any game which has anything like the rainbow in Rainbow Islands because it's bonkers. It's just weird. Um, like what platformers give you something that you can spawn that creates a platform, and that's literally how you get about the level pretty much from mm. start to finish. And also, that's a weapon if you want to use it as a weapon. Um, you can, I mean, the way that Wikipedia described it was that damage field above it. I caught mm. like, for me it was bumping the the rainbow onto onto enemies to knock them up into the sky, yeah, um, it, yeah. and then jumping on the rainbow to slam the rainbow down onto enemies. Um, but yes. also, for some reason, the rainbow damages them when you shoot them. Obviously, yeah. makes total sense in um, a different way, though. So you get yeah. different uh, collectibles. In, if you if you trap them and then burst the rainbow onto them. You get the power ups and the and the higher score items, but if you just drop it on them, you get the kind of the basic stuff, and that's vital. Which is yeah. really, it's it's a massively important mechanic for reasons I'm sure we'll get into. Um, Absolutely, but uh, yes, uh, it, it's I I just I I think I, I if I'd have tried to play Rainbow Islands when I was older, um, and I guess this you know uh, Leon you did, um, you know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I think I would have found it too odd a mechanic to get mm. my head around because um, it just isn't like anything else. It wasn't like Mario. It wasn't like Bubble Bobble. No. No, I think um, the, the thing, genuinely, the thing that still catches me out to this day, even though I know full well that's how it works, in my head, you can just step slightly onto a rainbow. But you can't. If you step onto a rainbow, you go halfway across the rainbow. And if you then step from rainbow one, if you've got a powered up rainbow and you push again to the left or right, you will go all the way across to the middle of the next rainbow. I still lose lives to thinking that I can just nudge Bubby or uh, Bubby just a, a pixel or two. You can't you can't do that. And in fact, if I did have a. I think if there was an element of the game that I would kind of warn modern players about, we often talk about the kind of the incredible um, fidelity of control on modern platformers going back to Super Meat Boy and things like that. Bub 
Bubby here doesn't really have that. You can control Bubby a little bit in the air, but Bubby has a Bubby has a definite kind of point of departure and point of arrival that you're not going to be able to do too much about. And the screen gets more and more chaotic and full of enemies the, the further you go into the game and you have to be incredibly sure of yourself. However, you are armed with this this um this this powerful weapon which has a pretty kind of generous hit detection area. Yeah, it is it is it does it doesn't need to be right next to an enemy to to knock them up or to um to be hit to hit them um yeah. or to indeed I think even if it slams down it doesn't the enemy doesn't necessarily need to be right under like it can no, be a little it. bit to the side. Um yeah. so it uh, yeah like you said it's 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 gen- a little bit generous in that regard, um, but uh, the, the contrast is, is very much locomotion. And um, I think the key thing with what you were saying, Leon, about that kind of moving halfway up the rainbow, the, the issue there is, is height. You go halfway up the rainbow, you're now a little bit higher than you were expecting to be. You yeah. just nudged it. And that's crucial because that means you're going to get hit by some missile that you thought yeah. you were just going to sneak under. Um, or the, the bat that was you know flying above oh. you will just get you. Um, and it, yeah. it, it, it's, it's vital. It, it's... I think the way I would describe it is trajectory. It's all about trajectory, like knowing yes. where you're going to end up um, as you make a movement and as what where your jump is going to leave you and what direction you're going in. is It's more vital in this game than many other platformers, I would say. Um, I know we're going to get into into Invart's techniques around... Go um, for you it. Know, in, in, ...around Invart's, but I want to kind of just focus around some of the advanced techniques there are just around the rainbow itself, just around the yes, single yes, rainbow, absolutely. because um, one of the things that is really interesting in the game is is that you can chain rainbows together. So um, say you've got, I don't know, a, a line of four rainbows that are kind of all close to each other. If you jump on the top one, it will shatter all the ones that are in that chain below it. So you might be able to cover the whole screen sideways, horizontally, by, you know, carefully placing your rainbows and then jumping on the top one, getting all the things below all the enemies all the items because you can collect items as well using rainbows um so that's it's 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 you know that's incredibly clever but one of my favorite things in terms of an advanced technique involving the rainbow itself specifically is mm. um if you want if you want to if you jump on a rainbow like we've said it will shatter onto the enemy below unless you then immediately jump as you land on it that's right so yeah. if you just very quickly press the jump which uh you know on i think uh on my amiga was up up um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah if you if you quickly jump then you can actually kind of almost bounce off that rainbow but it's incredibly hard to actually then get directional trajectory so it's a kind of punishing mechanic for it like it's 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 just bizarre there's all these nuances and little advanced techniques that actually are vital if you want to get towards the end game and um you know negotiate your way when there are loads and loads of enemies and again it's it all comes back to this this really simple looking um game but i like i i keep saying this rainbow is it's it's really complicated for an 80s game really really complicated yeah and sophisticated yes that's a better word for it sophisticated um each fourth stage concludes with a nasty boss again sometimes a bit of a a roadblock to progress a difficulty spike until you work out their patterns and even then sometimes uh the later ones are very very you know they're bigger than anything else you face they're meaner they fire things at you they move about quickly but you can lay 
chains of traps. I can't remember exactly what the uh, what the number is you can have on screen before they start to despawn. Is it nine or is it twelve? It's it's three or four lots of triple rainbows, isn't it? Um, I thought it was nine. That was that was the number that I had in my head. So your you might you might be right. Tenth, eleventh, and twelfth would start right. The removal. Yeah. So, but each one does. Uh, you actually get an enemy uh, an energy bar on the enemy bosses, and uh, and you see see those being chipped away by each hit. And in fact, if you if you lay the full trap of triple rainbows above some of the bosses, uh, so I think I remember anecdotally uh, and and from my own experience, the first two bosses again, you know, I would say uh, pretty gentle. But if you didn't arrive at Dracula with uh, speedy boots and triple rainbows you could probably unless you were very good or a bit lucky say goodbye to that run because um actually it's one of those that's very easy if you're fully powered up and extremely challenging if you're not with his little spawn wave of vampire bats i'm, I'm proud to say this afternoon i managed to get through the dracula boss with my single rainbow uh having awesome all my power item perhaps uh <sighs> just before getting to him uh, it's it is incredibly tricky, and that that is kind of a, a crucial part of this game. How um how vital the big red potion and the big yellow potion are, and the speedy shoes, which are the uh, it's again it's difficult to explain. I hopefully on that maybe you're, you've got a good explanation <laughs> for all this somewhere in what, all these Wikipedia explanations. But there are a sort of cycle of bonus power up items that you can get as you kill That's more it. and more enemies, and the first yeah. few are I believe it goes um, speedy shoes your so we probably yeah. should explain this correctly. Sorry, I should start from the beginning. Every three enemies you kill, you you yeah. get a um a bonus item. The third one, um, and so the first bonus item I think is the speedy shoes. Uh, mm-hmm. Then you get a big red potion, which uh, gives you double rainbows. Yes. Um. Then you get the yellow potion, which gives you faster rainbows. Um. And then another big red potion, which if you've got the first one, will give you triple rainbows. And yeah. it is vital to get all those four items. It becomes a much easier game yep. if you have them and much Absolutely. harder if you don't. <laughs> and of course, uh, there's even more than that. The The, the next one is the yellow star, uh, which fires several shards upwards. And again, the hits, uh, the hit boxes on those are very generous. Uh, so if you fire one of those, you're you're very likely to take out the majority of enemies that are just above you at the time. The sixth uh, actual power up is the crystal ball which so there's a lot of enemies types in this game uh, uh, visually distinct across all the different themed islands but they all act within the realms of i think six or no maybe eight archetypes so even when they appear on different levels they are fundamentally uh driven by the same AI behavior as as the same the enemies earlier, but they're just faster and more aggressive and and maybe fire more things. The crystal ball though means that when you pop an enemy, kill it, drop a rainbow on it, when it dies, it spins about and shows you its real form, which is that of an enemy from Bubble Bobble. <laughs> um, I don't know why that was considered so important, but you do get five thousand points for it anyway, so it's as much a points item as anything. And then the seventh item is the uh, is the red star, which fires up and down, which is a real lifesaver, almost a screen clearer. But then beyond that, and again, as we discussed with Bubble Bobble, um, you get the rings, which give you points for steps taken or rainbows created or jumping. Then you get the tiaras, 
one of which makes stars fall, fall from the sky, which takes out everything above you. That's after killing 120 enemies. And I think that's a uh, a number which wraps around between credits as well. So if, if you left the arcade machine and you killed 100 enemies and the next person came on and killed 20, they would see the next tiara kind of thing. I think that's how I'm pretty sure that's how it worked. You get a protection fairy tiara, which spins around you um, and uh, a star that flies out of you when you jump and explodes in in eight dire uh, multiple directions for eight the next eight jumps there are lamps which uh once you've collected yellow red stars and different trophies you get uh lamps which mean that you collect only 10,000 point money bags the red lamp gives you 100,000 point money bags so again this is a real a game for score chasers like i used to regularly kind of get in the one to two million points bracket. But if you complete this game properly, you're going to be looking at sort of 70 million points or something like wow. that based on based on all the bonuses you get. Um, we haven't even said uh, like um, every single platform, pre-built platform on this uh, on this game is covered in invisible collectible items, which are only revealed by firing rainbows at them. And they start from the very beginning with the famous green pepper which is worth just 10, point, 10 points. They work their way up through the tedious vegetables <laughs> and uh, through the fried eggs and fruits and cakes and desserts and into the jewels and crowns and mugs of beer <laughs> and, uh, and, and things. Um, there's, I think there's, uh, it must be 60, 70, 80, something like 80 different score items of this nature uh, with with the, the top three the gold coronet the gold crown and the money bag all being worth ten thousand points apiece so again if you're really if you if you think you've got the time bearing in mind that every level has a, an invisible time limit you can also scour every surface for points there's just so much going on here i mean that's how i would play that is um when i was yeah you know when i was good at this game which is so yeah. many years ago but when i was good yeah, at this yeah, game yeah, same. um I would know where you could find those invisible items um, yes. and I would get them because getting points was vital because you can get um, one ups extra lives if you get to certain score levels. Um, and it's it, and even though you're probably likely to get those score levels anyway, in my head, it was important to get those things so I could get to that level quicker. Um, yep. So I would at least for the first three um, walls, so, you know, up to Vampire, I think I was fairly confident about where all of the special items were and um, all, all the invisible items. And um, then from that point on, I think once you get to Toy World, you're just trying to survive. That's how I kind of always looked at it. Uh, you know, it, yeah. was, it just got very hard very quickly after that point. But most, most, most normal people. Um, <laughs> but yes, as always, there are there are people out there who can uh, who can absolutely... Uh, cruise through this stuff but you know patience and persistence and practice all pay off i suppose because you, you mentioned um as well the the different power-ups um beyond the the the, the double uh, big red potion then the big red potion, yeah all those and, and then that eighth one which is condition dependent and That's it. Yeah. i i remember when i started big red potion my podcast um i was reading a lot about rainbow islands and there was this like GeoCities looking page that I found, even though this was <laughs> 2008, and it had this table of all the different conditions uh, and the items, you know, that were tied to those conditions. So things like, um, uh, I don't know, 
like you mentioned, uh, getting 12 for certain things or, or, or yeah. um, you know, killing, uh, jumping on rainbow a certain amount of times or um, there are all these bizarre conditions mm. and... Just like li- sub-quests. Yes. And and I, I think this, it, I think it's something that's carried over from Bubble Bubble. I'm not, I'm not I, I, I guess so. I just wasn't, I didn't notice yeah, it, it is, much. Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, I just didn't, for some reason, I didn't notice it that much in that game. Maybe I was a bit younger and maybe it's just... Depends bubble. which version you played as well. They weren't always as faithful ah. to the to the to the behind the scenes stuff as as uh, all the versions of Rainbow Islands were. I, I I think I noticed it in Rainbow Islands because there's one item which is you have to get ten lives to to, to unlock, and I would I'd spot that one. I'd be like, oh, mm. you get this cape which lets you I think get through to the end of the level invincibly or something like that. And yeah. um. Even at like age nine and ten, I was like, "There is something going on here. There, there are ways I can get. I, I couldn't work it out, but I, I could work out that there these things were appearing because I was doing something." Um, yeah. And then absolutely. when I saw that table, I was like, "Wow, this game is just nuts. This game is nuts. It's bonkers." <laughs> it is. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure there there probably were more uh, arcade games, Japanese arcade games in particular, that had more stuff going on behind than we knew. Like we know now that. Almost every shoot 'em up had a ranking system, and they still do. All the modern shoot 'em shoot, shoot 'em ups have a ranking system. When it was, when games uh, used it, like uh, in Western developed computer games like Swiv and Gods, it was a huge deal. It was like these games have adaptive difficulty on the fly, and actually, a lot of arcade games have been doing this uh, from the off. But in terms of these, this kind of cascading power up system where you'd go from uh, you know, gems to tiaras to pots to rods to giant items to bottles to canes to to then these really mysterious items, giant items as well, end of level items, and yeah, um, I mean we're 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 going down, we're heading down this path. So let's talk about it. the The key item to beating this game at all, and certainly properly, are the gems, and what you probably did realize even at your relatively young ages back then was that the the red gem always falls on the left of the screen the orange gem always falls in the next kind of segment and so on the screen was divided into seven invisible strips and so depending where you killed the enemies they would land in these different colored gems now you you fairly quickly realized that collecting all seven of the rainbow colored gems would get you a one-up and get you a, a nice big item at the end of the level. What I didn't know f- until I uh, possibly read that Amiga Power Guide, um, and even then, of course, the Amiga version wasn't actually fully complete because it didn't have the secret islands. If you collect all those gems in order from left to right, you get the secret rooms. And if you get into every secret room in the game, you end up with all the permanent power-ups which means that when you die, you can still run fast or shoot double rainbows or triple rainbows and even fly and stuff like this. And then by the end of the game, you're looking at collecting the final secret room. And I've never, I, I will completely admit, I've never done this proper <laughs> ending. Yeah. But I, I would consider it like the, you know, probably one of the things on my video gaming bucket list that if I could ever just sit down and dedicate myself to doing one game like fully caning and rinsing and doing it properly it would probably be rainbow <laughs> the last three the last four items sorry are the silver gold and bronze mirrors i think they're mirrors they look yes. they're like big dishes and there's one final rod at the end and 
these essentially you get all these you get the proper the true and happy end where everybody is transformed back from dragons and everybody is freed but to get there oh my goodness <laughs> you have to be so good and uh, and and yeah so every single stage um or every 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 set of four levels has seven gems so by the time you get to the boss of the fourth level on each set each island you have to have collected the seven gems in order um what's yeah i mean like what's your what's your what's your best attempt at doing this because i i've managed to do like the first three islands but beyond that it gets so hard the, the platforms start to run out and the enemy sprites get more and more irksome yeah i and so, so for me i i i've i've beaten the game um and i've beaten the game with seven gems um but not seven secret rooms and certainly i never got to play the uh <laughs> the, 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 all yeah, the yeah. extra worlds um i you know that was only for youtube um videos i've ever yeah, enjoyed those same. um yeah. i think i think it's similar to you leon like i think i could get them in order for like maybe the first three or probably not the fourth one because like we said the fourth one is the way yeah. the difficulty seems to really rise um yeah. but definitely for the first three carl you played it all that summer and, yeah and so I, the, again it was a mechanic i wasn't aware of for the longest time of course, and then yeah. you know uh one i, I remember one time because it, it pops up like um is it does it say con oh, it says completed doesn't it not congratulate it says completed when you get the gems in the order so yeah i think so yeah, something um, like that, yeah. and i remember sort of putting two and two together at that point when i saw that message that i'd actually got the gems in the appropriate colors left to right and, yeah. and the game never, as far as I'm aware, it never explicitly tells you that this is the case. Oh, no. But, but it gives you enough information that it's logical in terms of, you know, you get the markings across the bottom of the screen of where the diamonds are, the, the colours of the letters, when it's, uh, um, you know, goal in, um, exclamation mark, uh, is all in the appropriate colours. So I eventually put two and two together and, and that they should be collected in order. It took me a little longer to realise how to get the appropriate colours. Um, and then yeah. eventually, once all that came together, uh, I I know for a fact I definitely didn't do the first four worlds. Uh, I, yeah. I believe I did three worlds yeah. um, of getting the, uh, so the, the sort of the 12 stages of getting the gems in the right order. Yeah. Uh, after that, it's the normal human amount, I think. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the same page with that. I think, yeah, that there, I mean, there is a real turn, isn't there, in terms of the difficulty of the game from that, that kind of point on and, and being able to do everything together. And you know, I found myself laughing earlier on when you were describing all the power ups in between to be able to do that, and yeah, you're describing yeah. everything of having a, a generous hit detection. And you know, you've made the game sound like the easiest game ever, ah. and then we're like, yeah, I couldn't get past uh, World 3. Yeah, um, with, no. by doing all the gems. Okay. So it, it, you know, being able to do the platforming, avoid the enemies, kill them in the appropriate place, get the correct yeah. gem whilst yeah. utilizing Don't the correct Don't accidentally rainbow. correct one out of order. By yeah, way. exactly. That's so annoying when that happens. It really yeah. is. And then, and, and then making sure that you uh, use the appropriate method of of, of rainbowing. I, I yep. don't know if that's the correct verb. Yeah, yeah. We're going with it. Um, and then. Uh, putting it all together 
And make sure you get in the secret door at the end of the level yeah. before it disappears without dying on the bus. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes on. And actually, you know, these are the days where, well, I mean, literally in the case for me of not looking at an instruction manual because I, it, it wasn't an entirely legal copy. Um, but Yeah, I didn't have one either because it came in, it was it was part of the Flights of Fantasy Amiga pack. It didn't, I don't think it had a manual actually in the box. It was just a little plastic yeah. case rather than the big cardboard box. Oh. So a case of just putting stuff together, you know, no, yeah. this is pre, very, very pre-internet of just, I'll go and look and see how he, no, 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 yeah. didn't, didn't happen. Figured it all out. Over a summer, um, piece by piece, to try and get through it. Um, yeah, very, very tricky. But ultimately, being able to do all this, get all those gems in order. Um, first two or three worlds. I'm pretty sure it was three worlds. Yeah, it's genuinely, I think, one of those things that's worth worth looking up, seeing somebody else to do it. You know, even if realistically you're not, you're never going to do it or have the time, commitment, skill, whatever to do it. Yeah, um, it's actually just it. It's a really good way of seeing just how much is going on in this game and we were saying like does the game tell you well yes and no it does because there are hints hidden in the game but you have to you have to be good enough and clever enough to work out how to get the hints in the first place uh six hints provided by the game uh uh well three in the original version which uh the riddle of the silver door if you collect seven little diamonds in order it tells so it does tell you but you have to have um collected uh what is it I can't remember actually what dictates whether you get these riddles, but you you have to like you hardly ever see them unless you're specifically going for them. Yeah, I mean um, this. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to work out how I knew because I I think I did yeah. fairly early, and it's either there was a manual with my version which may have mentioned it, but that doesn't seem likely. Maybe no. I maybe I fluked that riddle um, because I could be. I remember going for it from when magazine I magazine guide, maybe, maybe quite possibly. I just can't remember. But um, it's also just it's a bit weird that there are items that appear depending on a vertical <laughs> area of the screen. I mean, this that uh, in itself yeah. as, a, as a mechanic is is odd, and they're they're it not is. all equal, are they? Either if I remember, are they? Are they not? I oh, think okay. that this might. I might be wrong. If if I'm the wrong, the middle one might be wider. I the green one. I, I think the outer ones might be narrower. Is what I have right. in my hunch, in my head, but I could be very possible. wrong about that. No, that's quite possible. Uh, yeah, and another thing this game does that Bubble Bubble also did, which is fascinating, I think, is the the codes. So when you get to the secret room. Uh, there's written in sort of arcane script on the wall that you have to kind of understand what it's actually hinting at to even translate it. So there's a whole kind of Da Vinci code kind of situation going on here as well. There are there are runes on the wall which effectively tell you to enter inputs on the coin op before you start playing to give you the permanent power up. So the idea being, if you've been good enough to get to the secret room on a previous game, of course, you'll want to do it again because you want to get to the true ending and all that. But you can give yourself an advantage, effectively like an RPG or a, almost roguelike, I suppose, uh, or roguelite. You can then input the the command, which will be, you know, based on the joysticks, cardinal directions and the bubble and jump buttons. And then you'll give yourself permanent fast running double rainbows, fast rainbows. Ah, and that's what, yes, yeah, sorry, that's how you get the hints. They are also, you get the hint by entering the code that you had to get to the secret room to see. Oh, so. gosh. No, <laughs> yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, have yeah. done it that way. That sounds way too difficult. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, yeah. wonderfully kept progression. But, it, you know, I suppose it's one of those things. I, I think it was a mainstay of, of arcade games as well, wasn't it? That you learn a little bit more in very, very tiny amounts. The mm. better and better you get to see all these things and you start to learn um, patterns and techniques and eventually yeah. they all do come together. But the method of learning was very... Um, I suppose brute force, um, mm. or luck, I guess, to to actually notice these things, and then you you get that, and then the game actually says, "Well, now that you've done that, this is kind of the rule set to That's get the, to get the thing," and then you take that on, and you and and you discover the next step, and the next step, and the next step. So, um, it's, it's yeah, these are the kind of mechanics that that make up a lot of elements of games now that either get widely criticised for being so abstract or massively praised in terms yeah. of having these mechanics. And it, and it's a tight line that, you know, yeah. you, you see a lot of people who are very vocal on social media mm. about these aspects of games and they either become um, huge cult classics or something that people completely mm. lambast and, and, and criticise. Yeah. And, and back then... Um, that's just how things were, and some games were just a lot better than other games at keeping you going into them. And, and Rainbow Islands was one of those games that, regardless of how abstract or difficult or frustrating putting all this together was, the core aspect of that game was so strong that you would keep going and discover that on your journey. I wonder if Phil Fish was a Rainbow Islands player, thinking about Fez. I'm now thinking <laughs> yeah. about Tunic as well. Like That's a game with kind of Byzantine codes and and kind of secrets that you have to work out simply by existing within the game world that's a very interesting um, idea actually mm. yeah I, I could see that i i think i think why it worked for rainbow islands for me anyways is is um how important those permanent items were um yeah so you know getting the the speedy shoes from i think the first room and the double big red potion from the, from the second secret room that is vital because then when you die you've still got those yes. those power-ups and so yeah um I, I remember very clearly there would be three different ways I would approach a run-through for Rainbow Islands. Either I was attempting the ridiculous, I'm going to get all the gems in order yeah. run-through, which would, you know, eventually end, not happen. Um, I'd try to probably get to, 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 to World 4 and it would stop. Still time. So there's still you know. time. There's still time. Um, there, or the more realistic one where I, w I know I would get that for the first two um, and that would be important. Um, you know, so I'd get those two secret rooms and then that would get keep me going to, to, to try and complete the game or I'd just try and get all the gems without worrying too much about where they landed and um, inevitably I think the way I would tend to play would be getting those first two um, those first two worlds with the gems in order and, and getting those two power-ups because they're just so vital um, mm. and then trying to just get to world seven um, and I think I've only ever yeah. completed the game maybe four or five times in my life to be honest with you so it's it, it was not always easy. No it's tough the uh yeah, the, like as as Carl said, like I don't I don't want to um, make it sound that the only com sound like the only complexity to this game are the all the the secrets. Actually, the game is perfect. As with Bubble Bubble, the game is very much ch a challenge in its own right as a simple game. But actually, it turns out that all the Byzantine stuff that's going on under the surface is kind of baked in to the point that you. You don't need to know it. I mean, you do need to know it to get the true and happy end. You can complete the game in the and 
be perfectly satisfied with your efforts uh even if you get the the non bad and uh, the non good ending but um yeah the, the the enemies are many and uh by later in the game unless you've got the the luxury of uh maybe the flappy wings which mean that you can uh stay up in the air the 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 spinning fairy which uh knocks out things around you and 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 certainly the speed boots and and fast rainbows uh, it is a game rather like the likes of Gradius or R-Type in that if you don't have those permanent power-ups and you die, you're gonna recovery is going to be very difficult beyond, I would say, Ireland 4. It's interesting like, that, you know, just that comparison to shoot em ups with the, with the bonus items. Mm. And of course, most shoot em ups of that era, or lots of shoot em ups of that era, were vertical. Um, and it's just, you know, only really yeah. thinking about the game recently and, and knowing I was doing this mm. podcast was like that connections really clicked for me that in many ways, this is a bit like a shoot 'em up in a platformer. Yeah. And you do shoot a lot. It just happens to be arcing rainbows rather than laser <laughs> yeah. beams of death. <laughs> but there are items you get like the stars, which will go off in different directions, which are very similar to the kind of items you would get in shoot 'em yeah. ups of that era. So um, yeah, there are little bombing. things like that. Yeah, smart bombs, exactly. So it, it certainly got that kind of influence, I would think. I wonder if that was something that influenced the I game. I think so. They certainly could have, if they'd gone with a completely different aesthetic, uh, they could have gone, you know, they could have gone for a, you know, some kind of um, Contra-like, you know, Schwarzenegger type figure with a with a, a laser gun that happened to fire in, in, <laughs> in arcs. Um, and all the enemies could have been scary looking aliens and i think the the game still would have worked it would have had a different kind of charm and atmosphere perhaps but yeah probably wouldn't uh, have stood out as much as no weird, weird but, as that sounds but given, would it have done better at the arcades because it sounds like rainbow islands was never really a big hit at the arcades i've I've struggled to find meaningful data about this but we know that bubble bubble was a was pretty much a smash hit and and remained in arcades for years after rainbow islands had come and gone I think Rainbow Islands did well as a as a consumer game at home. Yeah. Maybe they almost maybe all this the depth stuff although it was there in Bubble Bubble perhaps the the core of Bubble Bubble was accessible enough and felt doable enough that even without all the arcane stuff you could get somewhere whereas maybe with Rainbow Islands because of the level of challenge after level 3 or whatever um yeah. maybe that put people off you I don't prob- know. There, there probably is something to that because I mean that that's the whole thing is how do you attract you know a, a patron to your machine um you attract it with the fancy graphics the incredible sound the interactive cabinets with you know your steering wheels your pedals your your sit downs mm. and yet your experience of this was a franken system um mm. so it's kind of one of those that get the board or you know the the chip and the throw it into a multi-use system that can cover multiple different games and you lure people with these aesthetics now i remember like the 90s arcades was very full of things like you know um michael jackson's moonwalker with its big cabinets and and you know the 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 incredible graphics and the, the where there could be the big sega super yeah scales exactly there could be yeah. gritty reality and I mean, it's it's a Taito game, but my association of Rainbow Islands is always with the Ocean brand because mm-hmm. I played it on Amiga and um, things like that. So I, th- I think I think you probably there probably is something there about uh, the game would maybe have been a bit more appealing in the arcades a little bit earlier, but actually mm. it was the 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 perfect vessel for what we got on consoles. 
Yeah. Well, I say, yeah. you know, games machines. There's definitely something to Bubble Bobble being an arcade game. Like I, I, I immediately think of um, Brent Black or Brent of Lost, as he's known on YouTube, uh, does a lot of different sort of songs to video game themes. Yeah. And he did one for Bubble Bobble. Yes. And his one for Bubble Bobble is essentially about how the game becomes more and more manic and more and more addictive and you, you know, get lost in this how and, and chasing the higher levels. And I think there's something about that theme for Bubble Bobble that the fact that you're 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 getting to level thirty seven, level four fifty four, level seventy two. Um yeah. and Rainbow yeah. Honest just doesn't quite have that. It's more binary no. to me. It's true. It's only forty levels actually, uh although you know, they're they're taller than the screens of Bubble Bubble, um, and that's if and it's only forty if you <laughs> manage to get the last three islands unlocked. So it's actually only uh, tw- uh, twenty eight levels, right? The uh, the relative the um, the the base game. So yeah, I, like I, I guess it's it's almost more like to me that they're not. It doesn't feel like you're getting to level twenty one, even though the game will call it level twenty one. The Rainbow Islands. Yeah. It to me, it's like did I beat the game or not? That was my Rainbow no. Islands experience, and it's not quite the same <laughs> as uh, Bubble yeah. Bubble. Maybe they should have had that little, like with the the screen on the on Bubble Bubble, where it shows you it's got that little, it's kind of shows you tunneling down, doesn't it, into the into the game into the game's levels at the end. Maybe if they'd done had a similar graphic on Rainbow Island, so it has this beautiful presentation screen, and there's some official key art, although it probably wasn't called that then. Um, for the game, uh, I guess it was the arcade flyer sort of detailing the islands, but there's nothing. At the end of the game, you know, you put your high score in and there's an incredibly delightful, jaunty tune. But there's nothing to say, you got this far, try again, see if you can get further. Well, a lot of games did used to kind of do have that sort of uh, encouraging message at the end. This this one didn't really do that. And maybe maybe something like that would have just pushed people back onto the machine a bit. I don't know. As Wikipedia says, like Bubble Bobble before it, the game has multiple endings. To get the true and happy ending, the player must find and complete the three secret islands, although most consumer versions completely lack these islands. These islands are not visible until all seven big diamonds are collected. To get a big diamond, the player must collect seven different coloured small diamonds on the island and finish the round. The small diamonds are found by destroying enemies, by dropping a rainbow on them from above, or destroying them with various special items. After collecting the small diamonds, a word nice appears. If the small diamonds are collected in the correct order, the player will get to a secret room at the end of each island, which contains the permanent power-up. The colour of the small diamonds depends on where the fallen enemies land, so the player can somewhat determine which diamond colours will drop. That's kind of, in a nutshell, what we've been trying to explain. Uh, And yeah, can somewhat determine is true, um, very good players can very definitely manipulate the enemies on screen to get them into positions where killing them will make sure that they arc. We, I mean, we haven't even described, but every time you kill an enemy in this game, they kind of spiral through the air and arc land. Um, so it's not even a case of I've killed it there, so it will fall there. You that you actually have to do kind of a bit of mental um, previs to to actually think. Um, which way am I facing, uh, and uh, and where? Yeah, where is the monster going to land once it's pinged through the air after I've taken it out? There's a lot going on, and it, I think it's the only mechanic in the game where the the sides of the screen become walls. Um, I think I'm not 100 percent sure, but I think ah. that's that's you know the, the an enemy will arc off the sides of the the the, the screen. 
So, you know, if you're trying to get the outermost uh, left sand gem, which is the red one, the, the red diamond, you'll probably want to try and kill it, the enemy, when he's roughly in the orange zone and hit him towards the left. So he'll bounce off the screen and hopefully land in the red zone. Um, it, 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 again, very, very unusual mechanic for a video game. It's worth getting the ending, the true and happy ending, as, as although it might take you the rest of your life unless you use save states on, on an emulator or something. Uh, but you do get this important message from the creators of the game. The boss of Shadow Super Skull Monster was not ruined, but the final war was over. It goes without saying that he intended to turn them into his, into his followers, taking a long time. But the black magic of the bubble dragon has perished now. Thank you very much, Bubby. At last, the peace came back to this world thanks to your brave act. We shall never forget your achievement forever. Thank you. <laughs> it's not quite uh, congratulations or whatever, but I like was <laughs> was was not ruined is, is pretty special. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they meant, but it's good. So yeah, we're going to talk about uh, some of the other versions and conversions and emulations. Just a few uh, sort of details and nuggets about those. Rainbow Island's extra version is a modified version of Rainbow Islands. The game is exactly the same, except the stages, enemies and bosses appear in a different order, much like Bubble Bobble Super Mode. Rainbow Islands Extra was released in limited quantities in the arcade. The game was also included as a mode in the Sega Mega Drive conversion of Rainbow Islands and is the version included on the Taito Egret 2 mini console. According to Wikipedia. So I will have a legitimate version of Rainbow Islands Extra in my life very soon when that nice little device arrives it's a strange phenomenon i didn't really understand this whole re-releasing of games in different order levels it doesn't doesn't make sense to me 20 years on to be honest with you. it's a curious thing uh yeah i guess um i, I don't know yeah it, um i think it was popular it was popular in japan for whatever reason um, more than more than elsewhere i don't i don't yeah i've, I've never really understood it either <laughs> There we go. So the uh, Ocean version uh, featured a cover by the late, great Bob Wakelin, of course. It's very much uh, an interpretation of Rainbow Islands in the style of the Fleischer Studios cartoons. Um, I guess if you've played Cuphead, you'll know kind of the vibe they were going for. And although the logo I don't like as much as Taito's own Rainbow Islands logo, the art itself became... Yeah, for for those of us of of uh, of a home computer European persuasion, and I think it also got used on like the American NES box art and stuff like that. This same this same picture. Um, I'm guessing from both of you, it, it instantly conjures up memories. Even if you had a pirate copy, you must have seen this in the magazines, right, Carl? Oh yeah, when I mean, this was the this was the adverts on the back of magazines, inside the magazines, this. Yeah, it, it, as soon as you think of the game, this is kind of the this is the exact image I I remember. You know, the the holding the star running away from the the mm. insects. It, yes, just I mean, it, it's it's incredible to think it's that many years have passed. I mean, three decades and it, it, years. it's like that immediate flashback. I'm like, yep, yeah. that, and I picked. it's just I remember it. I mean, we've got it there in in the in the prep deck for the for the show and. It, it's exactly how I remember it. It is spooky because yep. I can't remember things from last week, but it turns out 30, <laughs> 32 oh, yeah. years on, I can remember 
exactly what the advertising campaign uh, in magazines looked for 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 this game. Um, we form memories differently when we're when we're young, don't we? Um, but yes, even though I was uh, ostensibly an adult when I got this game of eighteen, um, I have the same kind of thing. I think probably well, you know, similarly strong recollection i'm sure it loaded up on my version like it would, it would be there as the game loaded yeah um, absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So that's how i remember they, it. they managed it on all the versions as well um there's an interpretation of that piece of art on even the the spectrum version albeit with you know lower resolution and less colors but yes on the amiga it was pretty much one-to-one with the or it looked like it to our eyes at yeah. the time if, 32 colors or whatever if anyone who's, who's listening to this is looking at it right now and happens to be a bit like me who's, who's working who works in marketing i look at it and think this is really bad piece of key art this is it, it, it's, <laughs> it's different fonts lots of different things going on yeah, it's not absolutely not quite clear exactly what you're doing but it was iconic it really was yeah yes and and uh, although uh, bob wakelin and ocean were somewhat of an exception um compared to a lot of box art around at the time his stuff was you know just different gravy um there were some truly like spectacularly uh amateurish looking box arts in the in particularly in the mid to late 80s so anything that looked like it was done by an artist was like wow cool look he's got shiny hair (laughs) and uh there's even even a b covering the s it's rainbow island yeah i know (laughs) yeah i know (laughs) yeah yeah, it wouldn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't um, get past the approval process now for sure. Um, not to disparage the late great Bob, but um, it does actually make sense that he's holding a star because uh, when you fire a rainbow, a star comes out the front, doesn't it? So he is sort yes. of firing stars. But yeah, um, as iconic as it is, and I and I do like the Fleischer esque interpretation of Bubby. Um, yeah, there's 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 issues with it as a, <laughs> as a piece of art, but it, you know. Doesn't it beat just a Doom guy standing there or a Halo guy standing there or a Gears of War guy standing there? It's oh. like, I'd much rather have this. Completely. Yeah. It, well, yeah, I think that's the... As as much as we look back on that era of questionable box arts, at <laughs> least they had character, you know? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so there's a there's a really it's a, a genuinely fascinating story uh, worth looking up. That um, is called the beginning Rainbow Islands. I think it's Andrew Braybrook's uh, blog about the conversion of Rainbow Islands. So Andrew Braybrook, we covered Paradroid on a previous podcast. You'll know he was already a legendary coder, particularly of eight bit stuff. Um, had already moved into I think this was one of his first sixteen bit projects. Um, Obviously, home computer conversions of arcade games were a very, very mixed bag, to put it politely, at this era. Some of them often, uh, particularly those handled by the likes of Teartex were for US Gold, were absolutely risible attempts at the original coin-ops. So uh, there were exceptions, and this was very much one of those. The story goes, in 1989, Graph Gold were invited to convert the game to the five home com- the t- five main home computer formats Commodore 64 Spectrum Amstrad CPC ST and Amiga Telecomsoft i.e. Uh, BT had bought the conversion rights in the UK at that time Graphgold consisted of seven people and they were working from an office above a fruit and veg store with very uneven floors and an iron staircase for access they agreed to do the conversion for a fixed sum and based on getting the arcade machine and source graphics and documentation from Taito which was, again, quite a rare thing when conversions were being handled then, the idea that you would actually get 
uh, any kind of background information to help you with the process. Uh, the job, they reckoned, would take nine months <clears throat> and milestones were assigned based on their knowledge of the game and that it showed seven islands on the start screen. The main problem was that they were on the first floor and an iron staircase for access at the back and they had to get the arcade machine upstairs. It took all of them dragging the cabinet up the stairs rather slowly. The cabinet <laughs> was made of three quarter inch chipboard and contained all the workings of an old cathode ray tube TV and more. The jammer board was also the size of a PC motherboard. The game took the whole team. John Cumming took charge of maps and graphics. Gary Foreman did the C64 version. David O'Connor, Spectrum and Amstrad Z80 versions. Jason Page did the 16-bit and C64 sounds. Steve Turner did the management and Z80 8-bit sounds. Dominic Robinson did the technical design and support. Andrew Braybrook did the 16-bit versions. Uh, we'll come on to the reviews of that in a bit. So the first home version, though, was the Famicom version. Um, this is actually quite a different game. It's worth looking up if you're familiar with the arcade version and the and the say the Amiga version. Um, they Taito themselves went with a kind of slightly different layout to the levels. Uh, it has a different island based on their own uh, Kiki Kai Kai IP as a replacement for Magical Island. Um, it doesn't look as appealing to me, but I think it's interesting what they did. It was often um, the case, as we know, that with uh, Famicom or NES ports. Companies like Konami would actually uh, try to make a, a more home consumer appropriate title like they did with Contra and things like that. So it kind of made sense. And I think it reviewed OK. Then those 8-bit versions arrived first on the, uh, yeah, the Commodore 64 Spectrum and Amstrad. The reviews, as we said, were absolutely amazing. Uh, Ocean ended up releasing the game. I can't remember what the exact situation was, but Telecom Soft went bust, I think was the long and short of it, and uh, Ocean picked up the rights. Did well for them. They got a Zap Gold Medal in Zap 64 with 96%, and CMVG 96%, the Games Machine 92%. On the Spectrum version, it got a Crash Smash, CMVG 95%, Sinclair User 94%, and a Your Sinclair 94%. Um, the Amstrad version was uh, similar to the Spectrum version, but more colourful. They both ran quite slowly. Um, but the C64 version is a bit of a chunky looking fella, but um, but apparently it plays really quite close. I think all those versions limit you to two rainbows at a time and probably fewer sprites on the screen. But what's amazing is I think they did. Uh, I think they they did manage to kind of um, fit all the, you know, all the background stuff in all the all this, the, the the secret stuff up to the seven islands. Anyway, they didn't know about islands eight nine, and ten unfortunately <laughs> so they're not in it yeah um whether they'd have crammed those into the 16-bit versions i like to think that andrew braybrook would have prided himself on finishing the whole game oh. but um whether they'd have left them out of the 8-bit versions based on you know potential for multi-load and whatever else i don't know so the 1990 uh, release of the 16-bit uh, versions. The press got review versions in mid-89, but the game wasn't released until 1990. I think that's why my anticipation for my Amiga was at you know fever pitch after a year of, of, of these games having been reviewed. Um, just, yeah, and having played that arcade game, I guess, around the same time, maybe, maybe a bit before. And just, yeah, there was nowhere else, like a... a I've said so many times about the number of arcade machines we had in Brighton, how lucky we were. 
but Rainbow Islands was not one. I never saw one in Brighton. And in fact, that one in Lansing is the only one I ever saw. So until I had it at home on the Amiga, and really the, the graphics are nearly one-to-one, the Amiga version. The only difference you'll notice now as a as a modern gamer with a with a sharp eye is that the 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 16-bit home computer versions run at half the frame rate of the coin up i think they're like or uh, maybe they're 25 fps on the uh on the pal systems and and the, the arcade game was like a 50 or 60 hertz game but uh they were harder as well because of up to jump because you had two buttons at the <laughs> at the arcade so um that's one thing but god i did not care an iota of the time <laughs> It was just too much fun. Uh, the conversions were finished, but confusion about publishing rights, says Wiki, uh, Moby Games, sorry. There were suddenly three companies claiming to have rights to publish the game. Here we go. First, Telecomsoft acquired the rights from Taito and assigned GraphGold for, for the conversion. But as the production deadline passed, these rights automatically reverted back to Taito. Now, Taito claimed all rights not only for publishing, but on all work done with the game, especially the conversion by GraphGold, which they refused. With Microsoft, uh, sorry, not Microsoft, Microprose buying Telecomsoft in 1989, that's right, things got complicated as the finished conversions were included in the acquisition, but they also had no permission to publish them. Finally, the versions were released by Ocean months later. There we have it. I guess if Taito had punished, uh, published their own computer games, they might have done it themselves. I, I, I It's bizarre i had no, no idea any of this um and right. it's interesting to see all these you know incredible companies of, of your fighting out of over this game mm. yeah it was uh i was sort of aware of rumblings because i was yeah i was older and reading the magazines and stuff but um yeah it was a peculiar one anyway the reviews were stellar for the amiga version in particular 96 percent from cmvg and 93 percent in the games machine the st version is pretty much identical Maybe it runs just a tiny bit faster, but the sound isn't as good. So swings and roundabouts. Either way, uh, for the time, they were great conversions. But emphasize again, you can't actually finish them properly. Um, but again, back in the day, we didn't care. Just a, <laughs> a note on those reviews, because you mentioned it at the top of the show, the, I think Amiga Power being number one of that, that list, which was That's right. hugely important yeah. um, in terms yeah. of, you know, I think amiga fans i mean i think i'm pretty sure that's how i knew about rainbow islands was it being number one mm. on amiga powers list um that makes sense and yeah. um you know it, it's only sensible world soccer like you said was the the one to knock it off many years later i think at least two or three yeah. um yeah and the, it, uh, to me that's kind of underlines just how good these reviews were like you know cvg 96 is a it's a massive yeah. score um yeah it's strange that this game is not kind of lasted in that regard like i think most you know if there was to be we see it you know when there are top 100 lists and things like that mm. you don't get many games from this era and you certainly don't get rainbow islands um yeah and i i, I wonder criminal. what that is i think it's criminal uh it's, it's an overlooked uh game in 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 that respect underappreciated i would say um i'm not sure why i mean maybe it's as appreciated as it should be but i think i don't know maybe it just wasn't yeah it just didn't hit or or persevere in the same way i just yeah it's a mystery to me absolutely to me and it's and it's a game where i say it to friends and they've just not played it and i'm i'm mm. shocked genuinely like to me it was defining part of yeah. my gaming childhood so it's it's yeah. weird uh, and i remember um uh working with people at the time who you know were also 
into computer games and stuff and everybody knew it yes it was it was definitely big at the time um i remember working with this girl who had uh who completed it before me you know and that was um she yeah she absolutely loved it it does um, feel that when you talk about the amiga there was the, the there was the two phases right there was pre-sensi and and post-sensi soccer mm. um and those that really because because i know a lot of people that got an amiga to play sensible soccer yeah and that's kind yeah. of if you if if i talk to those people this isn't something that they talk about if i talk about it with anyone that had an amiga beforehand this yeah. will inevitably always come up in conversation and in fact um on a couple of occasions in the last few years i've i've actually had my dad mention um this game um mm. and and uh, also, uh, my uncle actually came to visit where I live in Newcastle for the first time since I've been here last year. And he was only here for uh, like two and a half hours. And in that two and a half hours, he actually mentioned this game completely out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the, there are the people that have those conversations that when they think the Amiga, it, the, the brains are like, oh, yeah, Shadow of the Beast, uh, Rimwall Islands. And it's all these big hit games that were inevitably mm-hmm. obviously always up the um, the Amiga power chart in terms of the, the most important must-play Amiga games. But then there's the others that are like, oh, yeah, the Amiga, yeah, that was my uh, Sensible Soccer or Sensible World of Soccer uh, machine, and that's kind of all it was before they went and got a, a console. So I, I completely understand why a lot of people wouldn't know about it. It's just disappointing <laughs> because yeah. it's a brilliant game. There definitely seem to be yeah fewer articles and video essays and, and such about yeah. it online compared to other games of its ilk and certainly compared to other games that weren't as kind of warmly reviewed and, and thought of as, as Rainbow Islands. Uh, it may just partly be that it's kind of slipped from people's minds a bit because of the lack of re-releases. Definitely. As I say, the last official releases were like 16 years ago or something other than, you know, maybe this some something of a presence on the egret 2 mini but that's still a very niche device you know yeah um i think an arcade archives re-release would go down well but again often with these games that the likes of me are kind of going oh my please release this game well and then they come out and then there's this kind of like oh well that happened mm. and yeah like the amount of people who didn't know bubble bubble was out on arcade archives when we did our last show <laughs> I'm like what are you kidding me yeah it's nuts I- in, in 17 years, when we get the definitive edition with the yes. Somewhere Over the Rainbow yes, <laughs> inspired Carl. theme, we will get the articles. And we'll get the, the game back game together. The best game you've never played. I mean, <laughs> it will be, be the headlines, and it will be all about Rainbow Island. I'll be 67 years old hosting this podcast. <laughs> I'm going, yeah. Uh, but we did hear from uh, one or two correspondents, at least, on Rainbow Islands, including Garrison Savannah which is, if, if that's your real name, Garrison, props to you, uh, from our Patreon. Back in 1991, after a long wait of a year, I got the Batman Amiga 500 pack because the 1989 Batman movie was awesome and the Ocean game looked the same. So my platformer in the pack was New Zealand Story, which was a great game. My best mate at the time, however, had the Flight of Fantasy pack. And as you did back in the day, we swapped games. My New Zealand Story for his Rainbow Islands and I fell in love. The music, graphics and sound effects were great, and the gameplay superb. I still remember the iconic ding noise of the rainbows. (laughs) The day came, and I had to swap back, and although New Zealand story was still great, I missed Rainbow Island so much I had to go and get my own copy. It remained one of my favourites through my Amiga's long lifespan. What a great game. 
Lovely. Yes, Ocean also did handle a, a, a good, solid port of Taito's New Zealand New Zealand story, which is a game that maybe we'll cover on this podcast someday. I was going to say, lo- lots of lovely games mentioned there by Garrison. The, the Batman game is fantastic. New Zealand story is great, but um, I, I agree with him. Not quite Rainbow Islands for me. But anyway. Yeah, same. Yeah. Uh, ST reviews. We I've got a couple. 93% in CMVG and in the wonderful advanced computer entertainment magazine it got 934 out of 1000 because because it was because it was my kind of scoring because it was then that's amazing (laughs) ace magazine uh the mega drive version was converted by a team called i system tokyo not me neither uh but me machines magazine the much loved gave it a 92% and Megatech gave it 86%. So yeah, I knew this was a solid port, but for some reason I never got around to getting a copy. I don't think it got a power release as I recall, but I did. I do remember seeing Japanese copy knocking about. I should install it on my Mega Drive Mini, right? <laughs> then in 1991, there was that NES version, which was Ocean again, based on the Graph Gold versions. Uh, and that's much more like the Coin-Op than the original Famicom version. And then in 1993, the Master System got a port by ITL and Sega. Sega Master Force gave it 91%, um, but this is actually based on the Famicom Japanese version in that it's got two uh, rainbows and different level layouts and all this kind of stuff. Um, Also, the original European version has a, uh, no matter which cartridge you buy them because they couldn't do patches <laughs> those days there was no internet and you had a cartridge uh, there's a glitch that crashes the game after level seven sending the player back to the title screen uh so that was good and um fortunately when they released the game later in brazil because the master system was massive in brazil um genuinely that wasn't sarcasm uh it lasted there for years and years and years and years um they did a fixed version for the brazilian market uh, there's a really solid port for the PC Engine Turbo Graphics 16 with CD Sound by NEC Avenue. I could install that on my PC Engine Mini. Wait a minute. Um, Parasol Stars comes out of the box on that future show. Future show. Uh, there was that uh, PS1 and Saturn double pack also came on, on MS DOS. Uh, which were based on the Graph Gold versions, so they were solid ports. I don't know if they reinstated the extra three missing islands. I doubt it. But um, you can still get this fairly easily on eBay. Um, Occasionally pops up in secondhand shops if you've still got such a thing. Saturn or PS1 version, pretty much the same. The enhanced versions that included on each disc... um, argue Enhanced, I would put in inverted commas, (laughs) based, based on the art... Um, the backgrounds are kind of, um, they look like sort of, uh, JPEGs of clouds from the mid nineties. Um, but the, uh, but the, but the rainbows are transparent on the PS1, but of course they're not on the Saturn because it didn't have color math built in, but I actually prefer the Saturn version. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there was a Wonder Swan version. This is worth looking up as well. Uh, Bandai's, um, vertically oriented black and white handheld japan only uh lovely name for a thing a wonder swan uh this version is called rainbow islands putty's party 
uh, and it has a, a different uh, protagonist, but it's fundamentally a, a solid Rainbow Islands game by all accounts. I expect there's an emulator. You can play Wonderswan games on even if you don't have access to original hardware. The Game Boy Color version in 2001 by TDK Media Active includes that Kiki Kai Kai Island and uses the Bubble Bubble theme as the level theme. Did anyone ever grab this version? I didn't. No. Um, I think if it had been on the Game Boy Advance, it would have yeah. been a definite buy for me, but yeah, not the Game same. Boy Color. Yeah, same. Uh, and it was, yeah, obviously it was a bit zoomed in and, and stuff to accommodate the screen uh it was a cut you know a cut down version but i don't think it was uh it was a disaster uh the last ported version that i'm aware of i did also own this was a pc double pack uh different to the ms dos version from 96 this was 2004 on the empire explosive label uh, bubble bubble and rainbow islands good ports you can still get this quite easily on ebay so uh, and it runs i think it runs okay on a modern windows post pc but if you buy it and it doesn't i take no responsibility do your own research love those explosive <laughs> ports there were you know lots of different uh things on the explosive label weren't there then they ended up uh, they became budget quite quickly if i remember and um, yeah, yeah yeah i think i picked this up i'm pretty sure i picked this up because i can't imagine myself going into the store and not and seeing those two games exactly. next to each other and not buying it so yeah, I think it was like a tenner or 12 quid or something like that. And, uh, yeah, they were discounted, yeah. In your library still, Sadie, somewhere, maybe? Probably at, at, at home in, in, in Teeting in South London. It's there, probably sitting next to the, the Virtual Boy somewhere. Gather it up. I will be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then finally, uh, 2005, uh, Empire Interactive and Sega brought the Taito Legends compilations to PS2 and Xbox which I think are emulations, but as I say, they uh, or possibly they were reverse engineered ports. Either way, um, they're the ones with, uh, you know, perfectly good way to play, but you have the compromised melody. There was also a mobile version released around that time. You know what I was thinking about earlier, thinking about the music issue. So famously, uh, Bomb Jack Tecmo's arcade machine has uh, one of its level themes is Lady Madonna by the Beatles, completely unlicensed. And what they did on Arcade Archives was they, um, because the game also had some other level tunes, they effectively reshuffled them or possibly even included a kind of new one using the same sound palette or something to to eradicate Lady Madonna, which is a great shame because it's a great tune for a, for a Bomb Jack game. But um, I don't, yeah, it wouldn't quite work the same with Rainbow Islands because over the rainbow theme plays on the vast majority of the stages other than Doe's Island, which we didn't even mention, which is of course based on Arkanoid uh, yes. using sprites and sounds from Taito's own breakout clone, which was a game I loved in its own right as well. Also coming on the Egret too many. Oh, sorry. I was just, we didn't go into the later world much at all, did we? And uh, like you had the Arkanoid level and it's, can we spoil it? Can we spoil it? The 10th oh, world? Oh, absolutely. Spoilers. The, yeah. Darius. The, the, yeah. The, there's all kinds of things. We also go back and do Bubble Bubble in the final world. Which is, That's it. You know, I mean, I'd had no idea about that until very late in life. And what an incredible yeah. Um, callback. Yeah. It was just amazing. But yeah, there was so much tighter crossover and, and clever stuff. That they did which you could do in that day um so yeah it was absolutely. great absolutely 
Yeah, I would. I would love it if I could. If I had the the, the ability to get to the Bubble Bubble Island on the <laughs> Bubble Island on Rainbow Islands, because it is the the final, um, the final one, the victory lap. Um, but you have to have got so darn good to get to get to it. That's the only thing. But yeah, check it out. Um, there's a there's a, a good YouTube playthrough. I don't know if it's tool assisted. Um, I don't think it says it is, but there are a few moments that I thought mm, maybe. <laughs> but I, then I thought it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, if you search uh, Rainbow Islands Long Play Arcade All Secret Rooms, you can see the whole of this game, and then wish that you could play it too. I would think. I would hope. Now. Uh, just for the sake of completion, I want to touch upon these three games, none of which I've ever played, uh, not even for research purposes, because of the review scores they got. Um, <laughs> they, they always looked and felt to me like uh, kind of IP, um, the kind of games that were released just to keep the IP alive or whatever. Um, I think movie companies do this, don't they, sometimes with, with the, like they have to make a film just to make sure that the IP doesn't fall out of their hands or whatever due to licensing agreements. I, this might be terribly unfair uh, in the case of these Rainbow Islands games, but I do remember having the conversation with people at the time, you know, so obviously some people rem remember Rainbow Islands as fondly as us three and saying, oh, Rainbow Islands is coming out for DS and coming out for PSP. It's like, no, it's not. It looks, it's got the name, but uh so yeah 2005 on the ds marvelous entertainment brought us rainbow islands revolution uh i didn't to, to, to put it into context i didn't even bother to play this when i had the ability to play ds games for no money if you follow my drift so often when i've done this show many many years ago in the past and we get to this section of the of the games yes. and ports and it's i'm always just going i i didn't play i never done but what I've never heard of this. I've played Rainbow Islands Revolution. Fab. And it's awful. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, <laughs> I rather feared you might say that, but I'm... So what's, what's the skinny? I mean, it just... It, 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 it's, to me, I, I can't even remember it that much, but I kind of... It blurs into the into the one we're going to discuss a bit in a second, the, the Xbox right. Live arcade version. And it just... Oh, God. Um, to me, I, my memory of both of them is this blurry sort of, it doesn't look like mm. Rainbow Islands, it doesn't play like mm. Rainbow Islands, it doesn't have the charm, it doesn't have it. Mm. But I think the biggest thing for both of them, they just didn't look right. They just don't, yeah. they don't, they don't have the same feel, whereas a lot of the Bubble Bubble later games, like Puzzle Bubble, for example, um, yeah. really looks like Bubble Bubble. Like the, the, Absolutely. The, and I think that was a crucial mistake for both of them. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, following on from Revolution, a couple of years later, um, this is rather like the recent Planet of the Apes trilogy in that I feel like they got the names the wrong way around maybe, but um, on the PSP, that, yeah. we got Rainbow Islands Evolution, also from Marvelous Entertainment. I should say the DS game has a Metacritic of 54. That's kind of a percentage. That's not very good. The PSP game, 47. Nice. I wonder if there's going to be anyone anywhere that sees this uh, this issue come up on whatever their yeah. podcast player is and go i remember playing that game on the psp <laughs> yeah well partly we do this section as a, as well as you know just my my need for kind of uh, detail and completion is partly as a a warning because some because often we get uh, forum posts or i get tweets from people saying i saw you covered rainbow islands i've just seen this game in the 
shop. It's called Rainbow Islands Evolution. Should I get it? It's like, oh, it's got to be the best version, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, it's 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 an IP. It's yeah, it's like something that shares the same IP. Uh, possibly a yeah. I mean, I, I I never want to disparage developers because I genuinely do suspect that all the people at Marvelous Entertainment were given, you know, whatever team were given this uh, IP in. 2003 four whenever it was and said make a rainbow islands game they were probably like yeah mm. let's make the best rainbow islands game we can make <laughs> um i mean ju- and then, judging, judging by the metacritic i think the name's the only thing they've got in common <laughs> yeah yeah uh and then yes in 2009 first on WiiWare, and then uh, the uh the xbox live arcade service on 360 came rainbow islands towering adventure now this was actually by some kind of team within Taito, but is it is it actually based on the DS game or is it a separate it's, entity? It's separate. It's very separate. Oh, it is separate. Um, okay. So this right to give the context, I've had to go and look up some screenshots whilst we're talking just to remind myself. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, this is so. This is the era of um, of Avatar sort of coming to Xbox Live Arcade and 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 oh, of and, course, um, yeah, uh, we has got I think the Mies as well. And you'll, if mm. you look at screenshots of the, for Rainbow Islands Towering Adventure, you'll immediately see Bob and Bob do not look much at all like how they looked in the Amiga versions. They mm. are much more um, true to, I don't know, like anthropomorphic. Uh, and and yeah. um, it, 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 it does not look remotely like the original Rainbow Islands. And from my memory of playing it for a grand total of around 15 minutes, it did not play like the original Rainbow Islands. Yeah, again, like... It, this should have been a, a home, you know, just like a, a, a tap in for me. Like I used to buy so many uh, Xbox Live Arcade games as they came out on a Wednesday. And this one was probably like 800 points or something, yeah. £6.80. And Rainbow Islands is coming. And like all I wanted, all I would have wanted was a direct version of the original. And, you know, even if they'd had to muck around with the music a bit. But no, they gave us this thing, which yeah, I've I've watched some footage, and I mean, I it looks like an abomination to my eyes, like genuinely hideous, utterly charmless and artless. Um, whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but it looks just like something I didn't want to touch. I think I think it's more than fair, and um, the only reason I remember getting it was because this is the era where you could get points, right, on Xbox Live Arcade by um, doing things. I think there were rewards yeah. and things, and I think I oh, yeah. got like eight hundred points for some reason maybe i'd got a card and i there was some other game i wanted to get for you know how mm. many points it was and i had some points spare whatever reason oh, that was yeah, the only yeah. reason i i got this game was i had some points right. and um that's probably the the least effective points to game time <laughs> ratio i've ever had with any purchase on the xbox live arcade so yeah that, it is not a pretty <laughs> looking game i see what you mean about the i mean bob and bob have just turned into bloody robert and bubba yeah they're, they're really they're uh, actual just people now yeah it's really wrong <laughs> uh anyway the reviews uh weirdly i don't know whether it's just number of reviews but the the WiiWare version ended up with the just about the same score as the DS game with a 53 and the 360 version did slightly better with a 62. But um, I'm guessing no one's crying about the fact that it's not backwards compatible. If indeed it isn't, I assume it isn't. <laughs> Don't know. But I, I, I do remember uh, at the time thinking that they're making Rainbow Islands games like this. The IP is not yeah, dead right. because they're making exactly. Rainbow Islands games. Then yeah. that was it. And I guess 
you know, Taito obviously had their 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 history and and what they've become. Um, but yes. but still, it, it feels like that this could have gone a different way if things had gone out gone differently. Yeah. And I I just I don't know. It but was Taito, dead. It is now. <laughs> Taito has this interesting thing now though what they're doing with uh, particularly the likes of Strictly Limited where they're making things like Bubble Bobble 4 and that comes with uh, a, a ROM of Bubble Bobble and you can buy a lovely physical collector's edition I know because I've got one um, they've also worked with uh, other kind of um, passionate legacy retro studios to bring things like um, Ninja Warriors up to date and um the space invaders collection things like this so it feels like there is a there is a route to um of course uh flying shark and same 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 are coming out on the m2 shot triggers label so there are genuinely brilliant legacy releases of of taito games happening not just trashy ip churns or whatever um and we've got this taito egret 2 as well so it feels like the the name Taito isn't you know isn't completely mud isn't dead like there's stuff happening there's fans we we're still getting the arcade archives release they just released the game formerly known as Plotting that's now called Flipple uh which is uh which is an old Taito puzzle game um on PS4 and Switch so i don't know like other than the the potential legal issues around the music it feels like, I don't know. I just, I just wish they could circumnavigate those somehow and bring us a like a definitive version, or like you know, with um, the like the Tiger Heli uh, and uh, Cobra Twin Cobra uh, Shot Triggers release. Uh, I, I've got on Japanese import on PS4. It comes with uh, DLC of all the conversions, all the console versions, also running under emulation. Oh. So you could like imagine that with Rainbow Islands, you get the full package or beautifully reverse engineered, not emulated. And it's just the music. It's just like, I don't know. Yeah. And the fact that no one seems to remember it. I, <laughs> a few stumbling blocks. I mean, a I, 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 I re-release of some kind, um, like the, like you're describing would be amazing. Um, I, I, I guess in a, in the grander scheme, I, I think, you know, but I, I I know, I know, I know. Potentially, you you guys will do maybe you know your own thing for for this title, um, one day down the line, maybe potentially. But um, you know, I think a lot about Parasol Stars as and and the demise mm. of 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 Rainbow Islands and how those three mm. games because they're all a trilogy: Bubble Bubble, yes. Rainbow Islands, Parasol Stars, and mm. they do not feel connected really, um, mm. in in a way of a traditional trilogy, not not like the Free Mary games that came out you know, around that time. Yeah. And I think Parasol Stars just being a touch below and not really catching fire um, mm. really killed anything for me of Rainbow Islands ever mm. having that legacy. Um, that was mm. my, that was my feeling. Like it just, the, in, the interest mm. in that franchise seemed to die. Mm. Yeah. We'll definitely talk. Uh, we'll definitely try and do a Parasol Stars show someday because it is an interesting game in its own right. Um, and it would be interesting to talk about, you know, where it succeeds and, and perhaps where we think it didn't. Um, but it was a game that was still well reviewed and well regarded, um, but it only came out on the PC Engine, um, and then and then home computer ports to the Amiga. So it's always been a bit of a, um, I don't know, maybe if there'd been an arcade game and it had been, maybe it might have been a hit, more of a hit. I don't know. 
Who knows? Who knows? Let's uh, let's hear from some more correspondents on Rainbow Islands because uh, these people remember Rainbow Islands <laughs> on Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince, starting with Carl. Bearfish pie was one of my favourite three word reviews in a long, long, long time. <laughs> it's a good one. Full spectrum warrior. <laughs> one credit classics. Ben says it's on the list. Uh, Cantoner's ghost, uh, which is a great name. Um, says suspenseful spectrum scroller, which is very alliterative. <laughs> Ephemeral Enigmas says creative, worthy sequel. Quasimard says obtuse items subquests. That's very good. Um, Schwartz Ben, uh, Schwartz underscore Ben says original bridge constructor, which I guess it is. Yeah. And Alex 79 UK, cheerful, charming challenge. Very good. Thank you, everybody. It's nice to know that some people remember Rainbow Islands. It's a shame we didn't have more long-form correspondence, but, you know, it is a 35-year-old game. Um, that's the way it goes sometimes. But let's summarise our feelings about this game. We obviously all feel very fondly yeah. towards, but that's OK. Let's wrap it up in a nice bow, starting with Carl. Yeah, so this uh, issue has been a bit of a loving, um, and uh, I'm very happy about that. Um, yes, because thinking back, you know, th three decades ago, um, which still freaks me out a bit to think about, <laughs> um, this was sort of the iconic platformer that really drove me into that genre for well into the late nineties, early two thousands as probably my primary, um, genre of choice for gaming. Uh, and it, this game continues to shine in areas that many games that I've loved since haven't. Um, I think time can be very cruel to a lot of games and a lot of game mechanics. Uh, I think the opposite is probably true of this, where the true genius of the mechanics behind it uh, are, are still head and shoulders above so many of its contemporaries after all that time, mixed in with the charm of the, the visuals, the, the audio, the, the, the music, if you get the proper versions, um, then it all mixes in for something that's truly wonderful and sadly hasn't been maybe treated as well as it should have been across its multiple versions. And sadly, sort of the longer that that's gone on, it appears that the versions that have come since have actually diminished uh, what came before it with the sort of the arcade release and the original fleet of home releases. Now, it's easy uh, to, to ask someone who loves this game, do I recommend playing it? And I can honestly say after the 30 plus years since its release that Honestly, yeah, absolutely, because this game does so much in so many wonderfully complex, comprehensive ways, both sort of in front of the screen and, you know, be behind um, in the background, that even just researching again and reading it through it all has kind of blown me away in things that I wasn't aware of or things that had maybe slipped my attention. Um, over 
over that period of time and reading it through and watching playthroughs and you know even when i went back to it uh, about five years ago over Maine, there's just something about rainbow islands that word is said in conversation i immediately smile memories of just a, a, a great period uh, in my life and my gaming infancy um i think rainbow islands will always have sort of a place in my heart as a, just a great game and absolutely sits very comfortable on my epic shelf of of gaming both on the amiga and as a whole of everything just what a wonderful title thanks carl yeah i can be pretty brief i think uh rainbow islands as carl said it's uh in fact i don't think there are too many things other than a few special people and a few moments that have actually brought me more joy than rainbow islands over the last 30 odd years um on and off you know i'm not saying i've played it absolutely constantly they've had times away from it and uh and the fact that it's tragically not easily available to play of course you can emulate it on mame and, and whatever else um but not officially available or or available in in a definitive format for contemporary systems is is a real shame and we've talked about some of the reasons why but yeah really um epic shelf again work of genius masterpiece whatever you want to call it um now we've covered it on the cane and rinse podcast um i can close this show down um that's it <laughs> we're done uh it's been 11 years why i didn't do it sooner i don't know no i'm kidding there's still more games to talk about that i want to play but um rainbow islands is for me one of my genuine all-time favorites um one of the most recent experiences i've had with it is actually playing the coin up at arcade club in berry i know we have some listeners there do check out arcade club in berry um that's a free plug wasn't asked for but um it's an amazing place uh with several floors of arcade games both vintage and more contemporary um the only thing I would say, if you are listening, Arcade Club, especially the the maintenance folks who I think are a bunch of wonderful human beings and geniuses, every time I've been there, which is twice, um, <laughs> but it's a long way away. Otherwise, I would be there, be there literally every week. Um, it's hundreds of miles away. Every time I've been there, the Rainbow Islands machine has broken while I've been there. Um, it's sitting in a big, um, it might actually be a, might be an egg grit cabinet it's in, actually. Um, anyway, it keeps crashing. Um, and, and it's obviously it's years since I've been now and I, and I want to go back. Um, but please make sure the Rainbow Islands machine is working when I come back. I'm going to uh, I'll tell you when I'm coming. <laughs> you can fix it just for me. Um, but yeah, uh, Rainbow Islands. I genuinely love it. Peace out. Let's finish with our guest, Sadie. Um I thought both of what, what, what you said, Carl and Leon, was, was beautiful. And, uh, you know, I, I it, it matches the kind of joy and love I have for this game. Um, when I, when a joystick, which I used to write for, shut down, uh, it's about seven and a bit years ago now, um, mm. uh, they asked us to put together pieces um, called Games of a Lifetime and um, list, you know, five or six games that, you know, defined... Our, our gaming lives and I picked games which made me want to get into games so um things like yeah. um Sonic 2 because I would that would make me want to go and draw Sonic levels and make my you know people I would draw little lines for um people playing them so they would you know as we played they'd say go jump up and I'd draw Sonic jumping up for my level that I designed 
Um, and so there are all these different games that are kind of like this. And the Rainbow Lens was the one that was easiest to put on that list because mm. um, I think it it got me. It made me want to, even at that young an age, like to be involved in games. Like to that's where I could see myself. I wanted to make a game like Rainbow Islands. I it was the kind of game I wished I'd made. Um, it, 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 if you'd asked me for like you know my free word review of it, it would, the word seminal will have to be one of those words because it's oh, yes. it's hugely influential for me. Um, and um, like you were saying, Leo, I, I don't think I've ever really stopped playing it. Like it's always been something I've come back to. Um, and I was really overjoyed to go and look back at my joystick article and see I'd said exactly the same thing. It's a game I've never really stopped playing. Um, mm. It's always there in the back of my head. Um, it's a defining part of my childhood. And um, it's one of the, like I said, it, and that's probably the best way to end it, is it's one of the big reasons that I'm here talking with you guys about games, that I, I'm lucky enough to be working at Konami, that I'm lucky enough to have been in the part of the industry for now seven or eight years. Probably can all mm. trace it back to turning on my Amiga and putting in that disc for Rainbow Islands and, and realising just what a game could be. Amazing. Uh, why didn't your article come up when I was Googling frantically looking for things about Rainbow Islands? That's what I want to know. SEO, or has it all been deleted? Uh, I don't know. Blame AOL is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and is uh, is there an archive of Big Red Potion available anywhere on the internet? It actually is. Uh, so if you, ah. if you go into Google Play, um, Google Play, no, Google Podcasts, sorry, whatever your podcast app, because I did this recently, um, uh, it's still there. And I think that's thanks to my old podcasting friend, Eddie Inzato, who has kept it alive. Um, friend of the show here as well. Yeah, yeah. Lo- lovely guy. Uh, he's kept it alive since the show ended and um brilliant i i sound a little different on that show um but uh good point <laughs> um uh i think uh i probably mentioned rainbow islands at least 27 times during that podcast <laughs> era so um it was yes. it's always been important to me and i would recommend uh you know certainly listening to to a bit of the, the first show i'm sure i talk about it there and why i named the podcast bigger impression Ah, fantastic. That's great to know. Anything else you want to plug while you're here? Um, I guess, even though I'm not really on social media at the moment, I probably will be at some point because I inevitably find myself drawn back to it. Um, yeah. like the, <laughs> the pit. Yeah, the cesspit of awfulness that it is. Um, you can find me there uh, as um, Shoibox, S-H-O-I-B-O-X on Twitter. Um, my name is easily findable for things like Facebook and Instagram. And... Um, uh, you know, there's a lovely Yu-Gi-Oh game out that I worked on recently. Uh, well, got to play yeah. called Yu-Gi-Oh Master Duel. And um, if you are listening to this and know that you like Yu-Gi-Oh and just not played it, I would recommend checking it out. And if you don't haven't played Yu-Gi-Oh, you should also check it out. Just, just, just play it, basically. <laughs> Excellent. Good plug-in. Thanks. <laughs> Very well done. And it's great to have you back on, Sadie. Uh, so, yeah, it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Carl, Sadie, our editor, Jay, all of you correspondents, and, of course, you for listening. And, as it says at the end of the credits of Rainbow Islands, special thanks to all other people. <laughs> uh, next time, in issue 522, what remains of Edith Finch? Oh, oh, oh.